evidence and answers. You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an international teacher, speaker, and author in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Why has God allowed a pandemic like COVID-19? How should we respond when calamity strikes? Today in our broadcast, Pat will be going through 2 Samuel chapter 24, and we will see how God brought a plague upon Israel for a purpose. But what is that purpose? Now, here's our host, Pat Zucran, with today's message entitled, Divine Disease. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, since the beginning of this crisis, many have been asking questions about the times we face. So I began my series, many of these questions, and provide a biblical perspective on the times at hand. Is COVID-19 God's judgment? Now, in the first show, I stated that God uses all circumstances, good and bad, to accomplish His purpose. Consider every natural disaster a direct judgment from God. Some are the result of just living in a sin-fallen world. However, there are incidents in the Bible when God brought about disasters as a form of judgment to discipline and restore His own people. When He did, there was a purpose and valuable lessons that His people were to learn. And one such event is the epidemic he brought upon Israel in 2 Samuel chapter 24. Now in verse 1, we discover the cause of God's judgment in the opening verses. Verse 1 begins with the phrase, Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them. Now the use of the word again shows that God's anger was rekindled again against Israel. Now, in chapter 21, God brought about a drought in the land for the sin that Saul had committed during his reign, violating Israel's covenant with the Gibeonites. Now, during his rule, Saul attacked and nearly annihilated the Gibeonites. This was breaching a centuries-old peace covenant that was made between Israel and the Gibeonites back in Joshua chapter 9, verse 15. So here, justice needed to be rendered for the Gibeonites, nearly wiped out. Since Saul had been killed, a just settlement was that Saul's family had to atone over seven of Saul's sons to the Gibeonites. And after justice was executed, the land was restored. Now, on this particular occasion, Israel had sinned again. What that sin is, is not, perhaps it refers to the sin of chapter 21, which is not made clear. So God needs to discipline his people, and for this sin, says that he incites David, and he does this in order that divine judgment may take place. Now, there's an apparent difficulty here with the phrase that the Lord incited David. We know in the Bible that God cannot do evil, nor can he incite people to acts of evil, contradict the very character of God. How do we resolve this problem here? I think the answer is found in the parallel account that's given in 1 Chronicles 21. In 21 verse 1, the text states that it was Satan who incited David to take the census. So when you put the two accounts together, I think you get a reasonable conclusion here. When you look at the two accounts, we can conclude that it was Satan who directly enticed 
David. And it was God who at this time allowed David. You see, nothing happens outside of God's control. And in this case, God allowed Satan to tempt David, who was already filled with pride and had chosen to go against God's command. And God allows us, if we're moving in a direction away from him, to be enticed, to be tempted. In Isaiah 45, verse 7, the verse states, I, the Lord, form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. People rebel against God. And in these cases, God allows calamity or evil to arise and run its course, permitting the rebellious to suffer. God's righteous character requires that he judge sin. And his intention is to correct and restore his people from their wayward and destructive path. So here Israel committed a great act of sin that violated God's righteousness and his law. King David, the leader of his people, is leading them down a path of disobedience. Now, there's nothing wrong with taking a census. In fact, in the Bible, God ordered a census be taken several times, as we see in the book of Numbers chapter 1 and in chapter 4. However, when a census is taken, it must be done properly. And we see some of the guidelines there in Exodus chapter 30, verses 12 through 16. Or else, one of the penalties mentioned that will result is a plague that God would bring pestilence upon his people. Now, in the Old Testament law, when a census was taken, the text says in chapter 30 of Exodus that each one counted was to give a ransom for his life to the Lord. This means that each man who was counted was pledging to serve the military when called upon without question. Also, each one counted in the census was required to pay a census tax. It wasn't a very big tax. I think a shekel, maybe half a shekel. It wasn't a very big tax. So perhaps David violated some aspect of the law when taking the census. Another possibility is that David took the census out of pride for boasting purposes or to build a false sense of security in his forces and not the Lord. Now, of these two, I favor the later explanation. Now, in verse 3 of 2 Samuel, Joab has a problem with this and tries to talk David out of it. Joab recognizes uh, the sin right away. And it says in verse 3, Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my lord the king still see. But why does my lord the king delight in this thing? So Joab sees the problem right away. And he tries to talk David out of taking the census. However, David's command prevails, and the commanders go throughout the land and number the people. And according to verse 8, the numbering of the people took nearly 10 months. Now, the number from the census was an impressive 800,000 warriors from Israel and half a million from Judah. Now, I believe it was pride that motivated David to do a census. Numbers brought him a sense of false security in his army and not in the Lord. And perhaps also a sense of pride in his accomplishments in building up that nation to such a great and mighty power. Now, this is a dangerous position for a leader of a nation to be in. 
History teaches us that pride has led leaders to disregard God's sovereignty, his moral law, and view themselves as the supreme and pride to create an overinflated ego in leaders. And when this happens, many poor and even disastrous decisions are made. History shows the results of arrogant and overconfident leaders. There have been aggressive conquests of territories inciting wars, oppressive taxes to support the buildings of monuments unto themselves, unjust treatment of minorities, disregard for justice, and other injustices. When a nation's leader rejects God, the nation meets its end. President Ronald Reagan stated at the Dallas Ecumenical Prayer Breakfast back in 1984, he said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, then we will be a nation that's gone. Wise words there spoken several years ago. And mankind today has long rejected God and has placed their faith in their abilities and their own knowledge and skill and wisdom. And as a result, Many times history has shown that we have reaped the horrible consequences of our misplaced faith and hope. You know, I think of one example is the legacy of communism. This philosophy was built on the premise that belief in God was the problem and sought to build a utopian society removing God. You know, it's called Marx. It stated, religion is the sign of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world and the soul of soulless conditions. It is the opium of the people. And so communists has had its day, and instead of creating a utopia, a classless, free society, this atheistic philosophy has been responsible for the death of well over a 100 million people. And to this day, communist countries remain some of the poorest with the most oppressive and corrupt... And many scholars have studied and given political, social, psychological, and economic reasons. And those are valid and good reasons. But I believe it begins with the founder's rejection of God, the very foundation of the philosophy that wanted to build a society, taking God completely out of the picture. This led to the wrong understanding of morality, the wrong understanding of human nature, of economics and of government. And as a result, instead of a legacy of utopian societies, there is a legacy of atrocities and failed systems. And to bring it down, you know, to our level, I, I have worked under and watched leaders in organizations and businesses make foolish decisions. You know, the disasters that followed could have been avoided. They would have heeded the warning of those around them, have just humbled themselves, honored God, and followed God's commandments. But instead, filled with pride from their accomplishments and their successes, with complete disregard to God, not listening to those around them, now, many of their decisions led their organizations into disastrous consequences. So when we turn away from God and place our confidence in anything else, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. And the results are usually adverse and sometimes absolutely disastrous. So God disciplined his leader and nation to keep them from further danger. And the lesson we learn 
is that pride develops when we can do all things without God, and we place our trust in anything but and it's our fallen human nature that moves us that way that moves us away from trusting in God be reminded of where our confidence and our hope ultimately lies and calamities like the one we're facing now and who we must place our ultimate hope and trust in That's the cause of God's judgment we see God's judgment unleashed there in verse 10 David realizes that what he has done has violated God's laws. And David says, I have acted foolishly before the Lord. However, the damage is done. And the next day, God reveals his message to the prophet Gad. And three options are given to David. He can have three years of famine, three months of fleeing from your enemies, or three days of pestilence. And David says, let me not fall into my enemy's hands, but let me fall upon the mercy of the Lord, to fall on God's mercy. And as a result, three days of pestilence come upon the nation, killing 70,000 men. And here God used pestilence as judgment to humble David and the nation and bring them back to God so that they would turn away. God turns them from a destructive path to the path of life. Who knows what greater sin David may have led his nation into as he had turned from God and was now filled with pride and self-reliance. Who knows what probably further destructive path David may have led his nation in. Now this section ends with David humbling himself, confessing his sin and repenting. When David sees the angel of the Lord working his destruction among the people. David says, it is enough. Now stay your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people and said, behold, I have sinned. I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? David takes full responsibility here and repents and confesses his sin. You know, often our first reaction when catastrophe strikes is to blame others and find ways to deflect responsibility to others. It takes tremendous courage and humility to examine oneself and confess one's sin and accept responsibility. And David's response here is a model as he accepts full responsibility this is one of the reasons the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. It's not that David was perfect or sinless. We see his severe flaws throughout the Old Testament, but it's because of his willingness to humble himself and repent when confronted with his sin is one of the reasons David is called a man after God's own heart. And in the midst of our pandemic today, there are many who are looking for someone to blame. And indeed, there's much blame to go around, but at this time, I believe, you know, it's time to end this. It's time to examine ourselves and see if there is sin we need to acknowledge and repent of. And not only do we need a time of personal reflection, it's also a time of reflecting as a nation. So I hope this does not come off as harsh or insensitive, but we should not be surprised for we have turned away from God and his law for quite some time now. You know, for decades, our nation has been going down a wrong and destructive path. 
If you study the history of our nation, you know, the formula for our nation's greatness is not difficult to unravel. It's not a mystery here. Polls that laid the foundation for the moral code upon which we built our constitution, our laws, and our government are the foundation of the freedom we enjoy today. The freedoms that we enjoy are due to the moral law code taught in the Bible. And when we apply it to our lives, it's a guideline of self-governance. Therefore, we can have freedom and not the overreaching arms of government because we can be a just people who act in just ways. A democracy only works if the people are good. And what is the measure of goodness? Well, there's got to be a universal moral law code that we all agree to by which we stand by and live by, by which we judge good and right actions. And that's what our founding fathers understood, that you cannot have freedom without God. And without God, you cannot have the moral law code of God that we all agree to abide by. Our birth certificate of our nation states, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our founders built our nation on the premises that there are self-evident truths. These include a creator, that this creator created all men, and he established a universal absolute moral law code. Right? And for decades, we have been moving in the wrong direction. And this is reflected in laws that were recently passed. I mean, our nation changed the definition of marriage, undermining God's institution, the foundation of all societies. There's been no civilization that has survived that has changed the definition of marriage. Our legalization of abortion has led to the slaughter of over 60 million children. Many want to, and already have, removed prayer from our schools and public institutions. Many are seeking to remove God from our national symbols and oaths of public office. Belief in God and a universal moral law, often called the natural law, was once the expectation for those running for public office. Now, it's seen by many as a strike against a public official who believes in the universal moral law or natural law. So it's my hope, and I'm sure the hope of many Christians around the country, that this calamity will humble us as a nation and as individuals and cause us to examine our lives, our heart, our attitude. You know, then I hope our nation will turn from its course away from God and there'll be a national repentance and a turning to God. And at this time of calamity, I notice, you know, we do not hear the voices of the atheists because what message of hope can they offer? We see that Christianity offers the only true message of hope at times like these. And so we see a turning to God and Christ's message of hope rising to the forefront as we face difficult times ahead. And this, for me, is a hopeful sign. Not everyone is turning to God. The remarks of the, I believe, the governor of New York disturbed me when he said, made it through this, not because of God or faith, but because of hard work. That's very disturbing here. That's not the response that I think is appropriate in times like these. We see the appropriate response in verses 17 through 20. He ordered to build an altar on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite, 
where he conversed with the angel of the Lord. It's believed that perhaps this is where Jacob, the founder of the nation, built the altar to God and offers to buy the threshing floor of Arana, but Arana seeks to give the property to David for free. And David refuses, understanding that a faith that does not cost anything is not worth his threshing floor to David for free. But David says to Arana, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me so David bought the threshing floor and oxen, and David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. David understood, you know, that there is a costly price for the atonement of David offered sacrifices there on the altar, and the plague came to an end. Now, when God has to judge a nation, he does so because he is a righteous God. However, his justice is consistent with his love and grace. His judgment is not motivated by you know, by pure anger, poses our sin, false beliefs, and uses these moments to build our character. When we respond properly with humility and repentance, then He can fulfill His will in our lives. We're open to His counsel and His correction when we are humble and we see insights into his word like never before, and he can really work in our lives. And in the end, he uses even this calamity. My board members, Dr. Rick Bartosik, shared how the Hawaiian people were prepared for the coming of the gospel. The discovery of Hawaii by Captain James Cook and the arrival of the missionaries in 1820. The population of native Hawaiians was decimated by disease brought by the foreigners they had never run into and had no immunity that were brought by the foreign sailors. Well, as people were dying, the Hawaiians began to realize that the gods they prayed were worthless. They rejected their laws and regulations based on their religion, and that involved things like human sacrifice uh, and others. It was just the oppression of women. So they tore down their pagan temples and burned their idols. So it's through suffering God providentially prepared their hearts to respond to the good news of the gospel of Christ. And when the missionaries arrived, the Hawaiian people, including the royalty, believed in Christ. And many people do not know this fact, but soon the largest church in the world was in Hawaii. And Hawaii had one of the largest literary rates in the United States. Perhaps through this pandemic, the Lord is doing this again in many hearts today. Many are realizing the frailty and uncertainty of life and the emptiness of trying to live within a secular worldview. And so the lesson we learn is that where there is sin, the proper response is confession. God restores, and in fact, He wants to restore His people. But we must respond with humility, repentance, and seek Him. Before restoration there must be repentance. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and the healing comes after there is a national humbling and turning to God. So through this story we learn that pride and turning away from God led David and the nation down. Whatever sin was committed, it must have been serious enough that God needed to judge in a stern manner. And God, like a good parent, does not like to discipline his people. But when we sin, he must judge to vindicate his righteousness. And when people humble themselves and repent, prayer that through this crisis, 
we will be a stronger church and nation and trust in God in greater ways than ever before. Follow the call of discipleship as die to ourselves daily to take up our cross and follow Him. So let's pray. Our nation changes her course, and instead of turning away from God, we'll turn to God and remain one nation under God. I see a hopeful future as many are realizing the emptiness of their ideologies that can stand in difficult time. Thanks for being with us here on Evidence and Answers. Look forward to seeing you again. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to donate, head on over to our website. Once again, that's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online on the homepage. You'll also find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers is grateful for our key sponsor, Highland Capital Management, providing investors with alternative investment solutions. To learn more, visit them online at hcmlp.com. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. Yeah.